we as a media community made a step back and before this large-scale invasion probably i would say oh no it's like that's too much to post this pool of blood or this like hand or a dead body which looks like it was cut or something like that but now it's normalized you can post it already it's already normalized this war has changed media landscape not only in ukraine but in the whole world i think hello and welcome back to the covering ukraine podcast I'm Oksana Mamchenkova, your host and the Kyiv-based coordinator for the Europe-Ukraine Desk. You are listening to episode 5 of our podcast, which is dedicated to the ethics of covering the war. The voice you just heard belongs to Oksana Romanyuk. She is a media expert and executive director of the Institute of Mass Information. She was invited to one of our Kyiv Media Hub events in August 2023. This discussion tackled the ethical challenges of covering Russia's war against Ukraine. It raises important questions about the huge transformation that the media, both Ukrainian and international, has undergone since the full-scale invasion started. About 5,000 journalists are estimated to be working in Ukraine in ongoing military operations as I am recording this episode in early 2024. This is a large number and allows us to see a war of this magnitude in detail. At the same time, it impacts many rules of war coverage and gives rise to a number of ethical dilemmas. Angelina Karyakina moderates this discussion. She's a journalist and a co-founder of the Public Interest Journalism Lab. Talking talking about um, uh, Ukraine fatigue, uh, which on one hand, ev- everyone as as a... Um, as, as a reporter, we understand that there's a cycle to a breaking news story. We, we understand that it, of the breaking news story, there's a, a moment where it is um, finished, right? Um, we are living inside the situation. It's not a breaking news story for us. We're not entertaining anyone. It's our life, right? So it's, it's natural that it is our Ukrainian internally, it is our coverage. But on the other hand, there is a feeling that everyone is sort of tired, not of not only of the news about the war, but of the violence as well. There is so much violence. There is so so much graphic imagery, so many tragedies. How do you get around with it? Witnessing so much violence, witnessing so much tragedy and blood uh, and telling this. And sometimes it is it is a, um, a conscious uh, choice of a newsroom to make the story graphic, to show, you know, what this war is, is bringing. So how much of this, you know, graphic content and this tragedy could be there? I mean, how much the, the audience can bear and what do we do in order to keep the story going, to keep to tell what, what is happening? Because it, it, it is not over, of course. It's a big discussion and a big problem because really like Ukrainian journalists are tired and exhausted. Uh, But at the same time, we need to show anyway. Yeah, because uh, it's part of the history and it's part of the news and uh, it's very important. Andriy Dubchak is a journalist, photographer, founder and head of the independent reporting media Donbass Frontliner. 
Uh, of course, I feel like professional, very big professional deformation. Now the looks of the body like is like, I can say really like nothing for me. Just don't touch me. Just sometimes uh, alive people with their emotion can like uh, make me crying or something like this. Yeah, because too many pain, too many bodies, too many blood, too many sad stories. And, uh, and Sorry, when do you make this choice? To, to still to go forward and to post graphic imagery. When do you think, in, in which circumstances or situation you think, yes, I should do this? If it can show or help, yeah? Uh, I try to show the pain uh, and pass the pain. Uh, and if your image or if your uh, graphic can help at this moment to someone, even to inform, yeah, but not shock, Uh, you can post it, it's my opinion. I try to not traumatize my audience. And uh, For example, I was present on the place of explosion of uh, Russian uh, missile in Krivirikia. Uh, I had a lot of photo, like bodies, parts of the bodies, and so on, so on, so on. But I decided to post just uh, plastic bags with bodies and... Thank you, Oksana. I'd like to add also about one category of media workers, how to say, which we have seen during this war in Ukraine, I call them soldiers of fortune, because those are normally hunting for uh, hype, for some atrocities, for some stories, not taking care about the feelings of the victims. And normally those are uh, some freelancers, I would say, who arrive here just to take this the most terrible story of all. And I think we also should raise this question and speak about ethics and about those media who uh, buy these stories without asking, questioning whether they can, how this story was collected, whether it is possible to put this story without taking into account some ethical coverage. This is Oksana Romanyuk again. She's an executive director of the Institute of Mass Information. Like last year, we had a big scandal. If you remember, in uh, Vinnytsia, some camera group got into a hospital and uh, literally uh, like talked with the woman who has just lost her daughter. And this was absolutely not ethical. But this is what we see also. Also invited to this discussion is Fermin Torano. He is a freelance journalist who has been covering Russia's war against Ukraine for the Spanish media since 2019. He is also a part of the Europe-Ukraine Desk project team. Torano describes a poignant personal experience from the war front. If you give me two minutes, I will tell you a story. Okay, last year uh, I was in Bakhmut uh, with two more Spanish journalists. We were in a hotel and there was a Russian saline. So we wait like kind of two minutes and we ran to the place to see, because it was very, very close to us, to see what would happen. So when we arrived, we found like three bodies totally destroyed and, and a big, big hole from the Russian uh, shooting. So I don't know, one minute, two minutes later, a woman arrived and she went directly to one of the bodies that had a ring, so we obviously supposed she was the wife. Um, and we didn't take pictures at that moment because it was kind of 
her last goodbye to her husband. But when she saw us, uh, we didn't speak at the moment, but we understood with the gestures that we could take the picture. She was still saying goodbye to him, crying. We took the picture uh, of that moment. In Bakhmut, we had the discussion in the hotel later, like, should we publish the photo? Should we not publish the photo? Uh, which one? Because some of them were very hard. Uh, which one is more respectful for her? Uh, would you do it for yourself, for your family? I mean, it's very difficult because you have to decide it that afternoon. You cannot decide it tomorrow or in two days. I didn't publish it, but, but both of the other colleagues, they published the photo. I don't know, I think it was five days later. One of, the, one of us stayed in Bakhmut, and uh, another guy and I, we went back to Kiev to go back to Spain. When my colleague was in the taxi, the taxi driver told him the story about a picture of a woman crying to her husband, and it was his um, cousin, I think it was. So the photographer thought, okay, maybe it's my picture. So he showed the picture to the taxi driver, and he started crying. And thank you very much for showing the world uh, what Russian is doing to us. So uh, there are people who are covering the world that they have not seen a dead body. I'm not saying you have to see a number of dead bodies, but it's difficult to cover the world if you have not seen what the enemy is doing to the people you are covering it. But at the same time, we have to be careful not to cover only the destruction, because if not, you are losing a lot of parts of the war. And obviously, we have, or we must be carefully with what we are publishing, but we are not the friend of the audience. If you are taking your coffee and you need to stop taking your coffee because the image is hard, I'm sorry, but reality is like that. And if you are not able to see reality, you will never do nothing to stop it. I remember two times in also 2022 in Eastern part that I sent, from my point of view, two respectful pictures to my media outlet and they were not published. But it's war. We are here covering the war. We are not covering sports. And I was very angry because if Spanish people are not, as I told you before, not seeing what is happening, why they will send money? Why they will ask the, the government to send leopards? They will not. So. That was Fermin Torano, freelance Spanish journalist. Now, let's go back to the words of media expert Oksana Romaniuk, who spoke at the beginning of the episode. She mentioned one of the biggest ethical aspects of journalistic work, which this war has changed and continues to change. How should the media explain their choice to publish sensitive content? The Ukrainian audience, which is in situational war, needs no explanation. However, foreign audiences are far from the war. Is a different approach needed here? The moderator Angelina Karyakina shares her experience while working at the Public Interest Journalism Lab. Yeah, I think it requires lots of energy and work from the newsrooms as well. Just recently, we, the, the lab, our project brought journalists from Latin America and from Africa, and they also witnessed, they went to Bucha, they went to Izum, they have, you know, spoken to numerous people and witnesses of the war crimes. And we were asking them, okay, your audience is much more um, in, in this way 
requires, you know, lots of efforts from Ukraine to tell the story because war is quite far from you on one hand and the Russian propaganda works really, really well in countries of Latin American countries like Mexico or Brazil. And there were lots of interesting thoughts from that uh, saying that, listen, we feel that when you are telling us the stories of tortures, we feel that we have witnessed the same. And when you're saying that you are, for example, documenting these crimes and you have a prosecutor's office or sort of a justice committees that will work with it in the future, you document it, you file it. We feel that this is something that may work with our audience as well, because we have gone through the same things. If you're talking, you know, when you're talking about Russia and anti-imperialistic war, colonial war, war, well, don't go there. This like this story won't work with, with our audience. So, of course, it requires more conscious efforts and um, work from the newsrooms to, to think how, how it's how it's going to work within our other audiences. Oksana, my question to you is about regulation. Do we need some high how to change the rules? Do we need new like accreditations, cards or new regulation? Well, as for media, we already have this military order 73, which regulates the military objects, uh, filming, whatever. As for the ethical norms, we do not have, but we have the code of ethics of Ukrainian journalists. And yes, the new media law was launched and it actually, it doesn't regulate the content, but it establishes the framework for advertising that it should be marked in proper way. Then it also sets up the framework for Russian propaganda, for Russian media. I think we probably need a better self-regulation because for the moment, our self-regulation is quite um, non-systematic. We have this self-regulation for sure in Ukraine. It exists in various forms, but maybe in such horizontal manner, this is our future. I don't know. This is what makes us this uh, hard to really to coordinate, hard to build vertical censorship. Despite we have this United Marathon, but it's still we have lots of independent media and United Marathon is really dropping in trust and audience. And like, I do not know why it, it is still financed. I do not see why it exists, actually. I'm more afraid of Telegram and of social networks influence. So media should for sure have some uh, probably internal standards, high standards based on trust, something like that. And the other ethical dilemma is balancing professional standards, personal feelings and civic duty. Especially if you are a Ukrainian journalist and your country is at war. Is impartial coverage possible under such conditions? Fermin Torano shares his view. Probably from the media outlet, they are not asking to get information from the other side. But maybe yes from the audience. I guess Russian propaganda can use kind of censorship from Ukraine that you cannot go to the other side. They use it. I mean, they it's, an ar- it's, it's an yeah. argument. It's, it's an, an argument. argument. Yeah. But okay, I think there are never, never, never you will be able to be impartial. You have to be honest. I mean, you cannot say this is green if it is blue. You cannot say this was Russian if it was Ukrainian or the other opposite. Uh, but you are choosing to be here. You are choosing who one you are going to ask the question. You are choosing, I don't know, where to put the camera. So, I mean, you cannot be objective. 
totally objective. You can be honest and trying to do the best of your work in the place you are doing it. For example, a few weeks ago, I, I had access to one big story that was not published in no media, no Ukraine, no US, in no place in Ukraine, that a kind of a small disaster happened to one brigade. I knew because of some reasons, and I was thinking, should I publish it? Because it's true. Or should not I publish it because Russian will use it as propaganda? Many Ukrainian friends, many Ukrainians tell, this is not helping Ukraine to win the war. Yes, but uh, I'm doing this because I don't want someone to say, I didn't know this was happening. And if 50 people died there, their families should be some respect. And a journalist, to show respect to me, is tell the story. So it's very difficult. Uh, so what did, what, what did you choose? Did you, did you go f with the story? Did you go forward with the story? I went with the story, but uh, with a lot of concerns, discussing with the editor where to publish some names, where to change some names, some places that were not... Some of the information should not be public, at least at that moment. But I know many people who will never publish that, and I think it will be not ethical. And now Ukrainian media expert Oksana Romanyuk reacts. All of us have some emotional background from this war, especially like in Kyiv, we have this the last two nights that we almost did not sleep because we have been under the attack of drones. But nevertheless, it seems to me that we are more impartial now than we used to be at the beginning of the war. Mm. And there... What I admire about Ukrainian journalists is they are striving for truth. And even if they do not report now, I know that some colleagues may have some ethical restrictions, something like that. They say that they will report later, that everything is kept, collected, and there will be some time, something like that. Though I believe that it is better to report uh, small scenes rather than a huge scene later that will probably be quite devastating. It's not quite of agreement, but some understanding between investigative journalists when the war started that uh, they do not make investigations now on corruption. on corruption because we are vulnerable, we have the war, but now uh, this situation has changed and we have lots of these investigations and we have lots of regional investigations now on humanitarian aid, and I hope that there will be more because these investigations help people in who suffered. They really are very helpful. There are restrictions connected uh, with in reports about infrastructure because journalists are not sure whether they can report about uh, like bridges or roads or especially when the military say that If you make this report and Russians will hit and then you will be guilty and etc. etc. So it's it's very painful to be a journalist in Ukraine these days. Another ethical dilemma for journalism in Ukraine is the issue of Russian coverage. Should Ukrainian journalists cooperate with so-called good Russian media, those that are not financed by Russian state? Would this help getting information about Ukrainian prisoners of war, children deported to Russia, and to help get them out? Should Russians be allowed to come to Ukraine and report about events in the country to their audiences? There is no consensus among the journalists present. 
Андрій Дубчак, Донбас фронтлайнер, кореспондент і фотожурналіст, has many friends among Russian journalists, and he says. We need to translate and retranslate the information. Try to do it for Russian audience, yeah. It's very big interest in Russian audience to see the information from Ukraine, to see the real information from Ukraine. Yeah? Uh, for example, not a few days ago, the uh, Medusa post select and bought the photo from different like agency and made a, a post on Instagram. It's like Ukrainian photographer who shows the reality of the war. And it was big list. I was inside this list. And it gave me like 1,000 to the followers from Russia, which like, no, from Medusa, yeah, which follow me and which is like interested in information that I show. Uh, but anyway, uh, we must understand that people from other side is under propaganda, hard propaganda, and maybe you can broke someone's opinion and uh, make some trishina, I don't know how to translate Трещина translates as a crack. But his Ukrainian colleague Oksana Armanyuk doesn't agree. Well, uh, first of all, I'm very skeptical about the audience of those, uh, how do you say, good Russian media. We perfectly understand that the audience of, for instance, Medusa shrank very seriously and their audience is really tiny. And I doubt that they are able, they or some other Russian media is able to influence the minds of 146 million people who, like up to 80% of who are quite imperialistic, who want back to USSR, who support the war. This is not a simple decision. It will take maybe 30 years to change this situation. Secondly, I believe that we should be much more demanding about the quality of Russian uh, media because I'm not satisfied at all with the quality of journalistic standards in uh, Medusa, in Dost, in uh, other media. This is terrible. Like... In Medusa, when they reported uh, about the war, uh, they made a footnote that uh, when they took information from Ukrainian uh, Ministry of Defense, they made a footnote that this information is taken from a side of the war, so we cannot be um, it cannot be independently verified. At the same time, they took information from Russian Ministry of Defense without any footnote. So how come? And uh, I also do not like uh, when there is too much of personal attitudes. Uh, this is what I see in lots of Russian news. Uh, the Ukrainian news are much more neutral and Ukrainian media provide you with facts while Russian media provide you with opinions. Like it's even can't be compared, I believe. Their standards are much lower than ours because they literally sell emotions and they are quite imperialistic in their approach to Ukraine. I, I remember that again about Medusa when they made a statement that they will continue using uh, now Ukraine and Belarusia because it, it will be up to a personal feeling of every journalist working in editorial office. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Covering Ukraine. Next episode will dive deeper into journalists' work in Ukraine. We will hear another discussion held between journalists. And the topic tackled will be restrictions on access, censorship, and security. My name is Oksana Mamchenkova, and I am the Kyiv-based coordinator for the Europe-Ukraine desk. Luba Guk edited, sound designed, and mixed this episode. The views expressed by the panelists are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the organization they work for, for in Ost, or for the European Commission who funded this project. The podcast covering Ukraine was created as a part of the Europe-Ukraine Desk. It is a program that aims at building bridges between journalists from the EU and Ukrainian journalists. You can get in touch with us at eud.anost.org. Maybe consider telling a friend about this show if you liked it. We will come back soon. Until then, take care and thanks for listening.